All right. I want you to notice what it says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15. It says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And that one verse right there, I think it probably has the best definition that we could see of a church. And what I want to preach about this morning is the doctrine of the church. We're uh, kind of back on this series preaching through different doctrines. And I, I think it's very important that we understand what the church is. And right here, it flat out tells us he wants you to, him to know how to behave himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, the house of God, for a long time, the temple was known as the house of God. But for sure, Paul is not talking to Timothy about the temple. He is talking about a church like we are assembled in today. We are assembled together as a church. And, you know, you hear people say all the time, well, the people are the church. And, and, and I get that. But understand, he says that thou knows how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of living God. So when we are, so obviously it's okay for us to call this place the church. And when it comes to this subject or the doctrine of the church, there is a lot of confusion out there because there is, there's a broad range of opinions that people have. And you have those who believe in a universal church. Uh, you have those or an invisible church. And while I understand what people are trying to say, I don't believe uh, that fits in what we see in the scriptures. But while I can't possibly go into all the different views that are out there on this subject, hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll understand what the church is, the truth of it. And I think the main problem that everyone has when it comes to this subject is everyone wants to give one definition of the church, and that's what it is throughout the entire Bible, and that is a mistake. If you do that, you are going to be confused. You are going to have all kinds of arguments and disagreements if you try to give church a singular definition throughout the entire Bible. And it's just not going to happen. What you have to understand to get the doctrine of the church, to understand how to properly interpret all the mentions of church, is you need to understand there is something, This and this right here, this one sentence is going to help you figure it all out. But there is something that the church was, there is something that the church is today, and there is something that the church will be one day. That's what everyone needs to keep in mind. Because where we have a lot of arguments is sometimes people are referring to what the church was. Well, that's true. That's what the church was. However, some things changed. God changed some things. And that is not what the church is today. Sometimes the Bible is explaining what will be when it comes to the church. And so people will try to define the church today by what will be. And it's like, well, no, that's not technically right either because we definitely are not in that day right now. Right now is the present, but I get what you're, what you're saying. That is coming, but it's not until the future. That's not the way it is right now. So just understanding those three things is going to help everybody, I think, get what they're supposed to get. And, but a lot of people, most people can't understand this concept of what the church was, what the church is, and what the church will be, because especially in Baptist churches, it's been very infected with a lot of the leaven of dispensational theology. They insist on separating the church in Israel. And you hear people constantly, in many Baptist churches even, say the church and Israel are not the same. They will say that over and over and over again. 
and you know they'll teach that it's even heresy to claim that the church and Israel are the same. But it's like, but you know, hang on, I think you're missing the point. I think you're missing the point, and there's a lot of straw men that they will typically attack when it comes to this. But they'll what they often do. This is another mistake, and they get a lot of this from dispensational books as well. Is when they want to define the church, they will use what they will call the law of first mention. Okay? Now, there is no such thing as the law of first mention. You know why? Because the Bible never teaches the law of first mention. Okay, in theology, there is what's known as the first mention principle, and and often. Not all the time, but often, the first time you see a word in the Bible, often, that word will kind of have a definition. It's like God defines that word for us. You often see that. But, it's not there 100% of the time. It's a great principle. Anytime you are doing a study on a subject or on a word, often, do that. Look up the first time it's in the Scriptures, and there's a good chance, not 100% though, that you're going to find that word defined. And so, um, but many people, they'll do that when it comes to the church. They will go to the first time it's mentioned. They will talk about, I've got it in books where they'll literally say the law of first mention. It's like, that's not even a law. That's just a, that's something theologians came up with. It doesn't always work. And so, but, but they'll go to Matthew 16, where Jesus, and we're going to go there in a little bit, where Jesus said, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Therefore, that was the beginning of the church, is what many people say. That is false. And, I, and I'm going to show you that. That is absolutely false. I don't believe the church started at Caesarea Philippi. I don't believe the church started at Pentecost. Uh, I believe their church was long before that. And so, this will not be an exhaustive study on this subject. We, we just don't have time for that. But I do want to just teach this concept of what the church was, what the church is, and what the church will be. Because if you understand these three things, you'll also understand where people are going wrong when they misdefine what the church is. And so, turn over to Acts chapter 7. So the first thing, let's talk about what was the church. What was it? Acts chapter 7, in verse 36, we have Stephen, you know, full of the Holy Ghost, preaching, and he says, talking about, the children of Israel, talking about the Old Testament word, the congregation. That's the word that was used in the Old Testament to describe these people. And it says, He brought them out after that He had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles given unto us. So right here, Stephen said, talking about Jesus, this is he that was with the church in the wilderness. So are you going to tell me that there was no church in the wilderness? Are you going to tell me that the church started at Caesarea Philippi? No, there was a church in the wilderness. And again, people get confused because they don't understand Bible theology, New Testament theology. They, they've been ruined by dispensational theology. So there, there's what the church was. It was in the wilderness. The church, and now watch this, the church in the wilderness was under the authority 
of Moses under the law. Okay? That was, they were under that authority. They were under a man, Moses. Okay? Keep, keep that in mind. The law of Moses told the church in the wilderness that to follow the prophet that the Lord would raise up from among their brethren, like unto me, Moses said, unto him shall ye hearken. Think about this. Moses told the church in the wilderness, follow Jesus when he comes. Stephen, who is a part of the first church, is what people will say. They'll call it the first church in Jerusalem. No, he's a part of the church in Jerusalem, the true church, the ones who are obeying Moses. There was a group of people, all Jews, in the first century, they were followers of Christ, and what's Stephen preaching to all the other Jews? He's saying, Jesus, is. this is He that was with the church in the wilderness. This is He that Moses told us to follow after when He comes. So understand that the church in the wilderness... They were under the authority of Moses, and Moses commanded that church to follow Jesus. They commanded, they said, whatever he say, says to you, you're going to hearken to it. You do whatever Jesus says to do. So understand, for you to be under the authority of a church, to be in a church, is to be under an authority, spiritually speaking. And they were under the authority of that church in the wilderness was under the authority of Moses, and Moses commanded that church, follow Jesus when he comes. So what happens? What happens? You know, a, did you know a saved person, to, even today, can get thrown out of the church? You can do, that can happen. And we'll say more about that in a little bit. But understand, you can never lose your salvation, but you can be removed from a church. And understand that those who did not follow Christ, they were removed from the church. They were broken off of that olive tree. And the ones who went on and continued to claim to be of Judaism while rejecting Moses, while disobeying Moses by rejecting Jesus Christ, they did not continue being the church. They did not continue being the people of God. They were broken off from that. And we, later on, we see the churches spread out and expand, and we see Gentiles being included and being a part of that. But understand, everyone would agree that Stephen, you know what they'll say about Stephen? That's true. He was one of the first deacons in the church in Jerusalem. And he is. He's preaching to the Jews. Moses told us to follow Jesus. So uh, and it, it was Jesus that was with the church in the wilderness. So you don't follow Christ, you cease being a part of the church. You're not a part of it anymore. And so notice this church in the wilderness, too, that Stephen mentioned, had the lively oracles that were given to them. Uh, it says in verse 38, uh, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Uh, note, notice that, those lively oracles that were given to that church. What did that mean? It means that they had authority over the things of God. Israel had that. Israel had authority over the things of God. They had Jerusalem. They had the temple. They had the Levitical priests. They were in charge of the things of God. The lively oracles were given to them. They were given to that physical nation. A physical nation who God gave a land to, who God gave a city to, 
who God had build a temple, God gave them all of those lively oracles that were given to, that were given to them. God provided them with that land, with the city, where they could live together, where they could have a place to assemble, where they had the house of God. They had control of all those things. They had authority. The Levites. Um, uh, I, we talked about this the other day around Christmas about that prophecy about Eliakim. He had the key of David. He had the key to the house of God. He had authority over it. But in Revelation, we see that Jesus Christ has the key of David. Jesus Christ has a key to the house of God. He is the one who opens the door and no man shuts. And He's the one who shuts and no man opens. Jesus ended up taking control over all things that had been given to Israel. Israel was to hang on to those things, maintain those things, follow those things until that prophet came and Jesus Christ came and Jesus Christ took over the priesthood. Jesus Christ took over the government. Jesus is seated on, on the throne of David. Jesus took over all those things. And so we see what the church was. It was something that it did. Judah, they had the, the king. They had the throne. They were the lawgivers. They were the ones and all that. The Levites, they were ahead of all the spiritual things. But Jesus Christ came along and he ended up taking those things. And you could say he replaced. He replaced the priest. He replaced all of those things. And so now we have what we, the question is, what is the church? So we know what was the church. Okay, but now what is the church? So we've already seen how Moses commanded the church in the wilderness to follow that prophet who was Christ. Israel, Israel the man. Israel the individual. Okay, who did God give the land to? Did He give it to an ethnicity or did He give it to a man? He gave it to a man. He gave it to Israel. He gave it to Abraham. Abraham gave everything that he had to Isaac. And Isaac passed that inheritance on to Jacob. And God changed his name to Israel. And God gave the land to Israel, the man. That, you know what that means? Israel is in charge. Israel is the authority. What Israel says goes. Now, what did Israel, the man, tell his sons? What did Israel, the man, command the 12 tribes? And we're not going to read through all of Genesis 49 when he's given the blessings, but when he gets to Judah, he, t- he commands Judah to be the, the leader of his brethren. Judah was to be the, le- the leader, and that's why the king... Eventually, they were from Judah, from David. That was what Israel commanded. He had the authority to do that because he was over the people. He was over, he was over the land. And in Genesis 49.10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Don't give, it, don't give it to Issachar. Don't give it to Reuben. He defiled my couch. He went in un, unto my wife. Don't give it to him. It's not going to be somebody from Reuben. It wasn't supposed to be somebody from Benjamin like we see when they gave it to Saul. And God took it from him and gave it to David. Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. You know what Israel commanded the children of Israel to do? To follow after Jesus. Jesus was Shiloh. Jesus was the Messiah. The church of the Old Testament was a miracle in the, the, just in the fact that it survived 
And it survived by the divine providence, by the divine protection of God, until God could fulfill the promise of the seed that should come. And that seed came. His name was Jesus. So we have Jesus, who's finally born of a woman, that we see in Revelation 12, I believe is a reference to. And then when Jesus is born, God begins His reformation of the church. And it says in Hebrews 9, 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Say, so how can you say that you know we're the same as Israel? Do we do sacrifices? Well, of course not. You know why? Because those things were just imposed on them on that church in the wilderness until the time of reformation. And guess what? The time of reformation came. So of course we don't do sacrifices. Do you all have a little biblical priesthood? Of course not. That was one of the things that Hebrews specifically mentions that Christ removed and replaced with Jesus Christ. All the things involved in the Old Testament church were temporary until the prophet or Shiloh would come. And so when people want to waste your time attacking the straw men, showing you all the differences between the church and Israel, and showing how they're not the same because of that, they're showing their ignorance of what the church is. They're showing their ignorance of what the church was. They're showing their ignorance of what the church is. So the question I have for them, if if they don't believe that we are the Old Testament church reformed, then what was reformed? I mean, folks, what was reformed? It tells us the sacrifices, the earthly sanctuary that was that was imposed on it until the time of reformation. So when God reformed those things of the old covenant, what did it turn into? It's this. This is what it is. There, there can be nothing else. We are a part of that. We are directly connected to that church in the wilderness. That's why Paul, when talking to the Corinthians, said all our fathers passed through the sea. They were our fathers. Spiritually speaking, we're connected to them. We are a part of them. We are a part of the same building that they were a part of. So what happened when, so what, what happened when the Messiah came from the church or from Israel? Because it was. The Messiah literally came. That, that Old Testament church, congregation, it was, it was a people and somebody came from there. Somebody physically descended from there. Somebody directly from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. His name was Jesus Christ. And look what it says in verse 7 of Hebrews 2. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren 
saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. That is a direct quote from Psalms 22, 22, saying, I will declare my, thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. Well, it uses a different word there. It means the same thing. It means the same thing, ladies and gentlemen. And notice how God was going to put all things under his feet. In other words, somebody from this church in the wilderness is going to rise up and is going to take it over. And all things are going to be put under him. So understand, Jesus, did Jesus not come from Israel? Okay, people like to talk about it all the time. Jesus was a Jew. That's right. He came from there. He took on him the seed of Abraham. That for sure happened. He, he came from Israel, but God said that one that's going to come, he's going to come in the midst of, from the midst of the congregation, from the midst of the church. And God said, I'm putting all things under his feet. He's taken over. You know who's not going to be in charge anymore? Not Moses. Not Israel, the man. Jesus is going to be put over all of it. I'm putting all of it under him. So understand, two people who want to separate Moses. And all. No, Moses and Israel both had the authority to command all who were a part of that nation and under that law and of that seed to follow after Christ. And God Himself said, I'm putting all things under Him. So, so keep all these things in mind. Let's go back to Hebrews 2, verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them whom through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Okay, always remember who Abraham's seed is. It's one person, Jesus Christ, and all who are in Christ. Okay, without Christ, you can claim no connection to Abraham's seed. Verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So, in the Reformation, Jesus took over. In the Reformation, it went from Moses to Jesus. In the government... It went from Israel, and who gave it to Judah, to Jesus. So the government of Israel, the, 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 the church, the spiritual things, Jesus Christ is in charge of all of it. Okay? Not just God Himself. Okay? We understand God's above everything. But these things that God gave to earth, that God gave to men, He also put men in charge of these things. And like we had Moses and we had Israel we see that God ordained that Jesus take over all of it. Christ the man. Jesus took over all of it. And so in, in the Reformation, I've already showed you, Jesus took control of all things in Israel. Okay? And we're calling it the church because that's what the Bible calls it. And notice in Colossians 1, in verse 16, it says, For by him 
were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. God wanted to accomplish something with the church. God wanted to accomplish something with Israel. You know where God accomplished those things? In Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all those things. For, uh, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself by Him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, and you, you Gentiles, you Colossians, who some, were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. So, see, we understand Christ is the... We all agree Christ is the head of the church. But do we believe, is, is He the head of the church and of Israel as two separate things? Or has He made... Are those the same thing? Without a doubt, they are the same thing. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we see that it is the same thing that includes Gentiles. And it was always God's will to include Jew and Gentile in the church. Now, let's go back to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 16. And I want to show you this misunderstanding people have because they don't understand what the church was. They don't understand what the church is. They don't understand what the church will be. And so they'll use their law first mention, and they'll go to Matthew sixteen eighteen. It says, And also I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And because it says, I will build my church, therefore it doesn't exist yet. Jesus Christ has got to build it. Uh, no, it, it doesn't have to mean that. Okay, there's, there's a lot of other great explanations. I'm not going to go into all the possibilities just of that one phrase, but I'm going to show you, I'll just show you exactly what Jesus Christ is saying. It says, in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, watch this. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So, people assume when he says, I will build my church, that it means it hadn't started. But, here's a couple of reasons that's foolish. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says, For through him we both referring to Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's clearly referring to the saints. He's referring to those under the Old Covenant who were of faith, that were Jews. And it says, and are built upon the foundation of, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So notice that the foundation of the church was already laid. The foundation, the apostles, the prophets, the prophets like Moses, those under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they were the foundation. You know, you can't really have a building without a foundation, can you? And understand 
that the foundation of the church was already there. It was that church in the wilderness. And Christ is going to build His church. He's going to continue to build that church. And He is going to build His church. When He's talking to Peter here, He's going to build His church on Peter's profession. What was Peter's profession? Thou art the Christ. That's how His church is built. And so anyone who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they are a part of that building. We are all a part of that building. Obviously, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. If you don't have Christ the whole building falls down. But understand, we all are a part of that church. We are all a part of that building. And understand, those under the Old Covenant are also a part of that same building. It's all one building. It's it's all one building. And Jesus Christ is the head. So Jesus was just telling Peter in this passage he would build his church on Peter's profession of Jesus being the Christ. This is good news for the whole world. This is the message of the church today. Jesus is the Christ. This is what we go around and we spread to everyone. Notice how Jesus... Now watch this. Because again, who is in charge of the church in the wilderness? Moses. Even after he was dead, Moses was in charge because they followed the law of Moses. Notice Jesus told Peter, I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so just like Moses was an authority over the Old Testament church... The apostles are the authority over the New Testament church. You say, but they're dead. Uh, But their writings aren't. We have their writings. We have the Scriptures. So just like Israel, when they would follow the law of Moses, they were following Moses. When we follow as a church the writings of the apostles, guess who we're following? The apostles. So uh, Jesus is in charge. Well, Jesus put the apostles in charge. Jesus did not write the Scriptures. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, moved them to write, and we are to follow the words that they said. We're to follow the epistles of Paul, and Peter, and James, and Jude. All of those New Testament Scriptures written by the apostles, we are to follow them. They are our authority. They are in charge. And so, uh, I get it. Under the Old Testament, the Old Testament church didn't have the writings of the apostles. But, again, there was a reformation. There was a reformation and God gave some new writings. And we follow those things. And so that is what we are today. We are a church, a New Testament church. We are a reformed church, not in the reformed by the Catholic, or from the Catholic sense. No, reformed from Old Covenant Judaism. That, that's what we are today. And so, the church, what is the church today? Well, you know, it's a called out assembly of baptized believers that has a biblical structure. We're not going to talk so much about that, but it's outlined by the apostles. We see apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers. We see all those things. We see ordinations taking place in the Bible. We see churches being confirmed. We see there is a structure to the church. It's not just a free for all. It's not, you know, you can't just have a group of circus clowns get together and just go say, well, you know, we're going to go start a church and then start a church and then ordain a pastor and a pope and all these different things. You can't do that. That's not biblical. There's a structure to it. And if it doesn't line up with what we see in the scriptures, it's not a legitimate church. A legitimate church is going to follow the instructions of the Bible. But these churches are, they are local. There are many of them. There are many churches. Jesus had them write to the seven churches in Asia Minor. We see that Paul wrote to the church 
in, in, in Colossae, we, to the church in Ephesus. The, there, are, there are different local churches. There are, they are visible. You can join. You can be kicked out. Hey, you know, these churches are directly accountable to Jesus Christ and the apostles. They are the, they are the head of the Scriptures. Every saved person should be a part of a church, if at all humanly possible. And let me tell you, just because you're saved does not mean you are in a church or a part of a church. It does not mean that there are people, that, and that's where people want to start teaching the universal. That's because you don't understand what the church will be. Okay? There's what the church is. And we do not have this universal, invisible church right now. No, this is church. Okay, what we're doing here, this is church. And, you know, the truth is, you can be part of a church and not saved. Listen, just because you're a member of Liberty Baptist Church and you're on our list, doesn't mean you're saved. It doesn't mean that, but you are part of this church. And that's why sometimes we're called to remove leaven and things. Because sometimes it gets in. Sometimes tares get sown among the wheat. You can be saved and not be a part of a church. I don't think that's good. And you have people, uh, you know, I don't think I need the church. I think I can still be a fruitful Christian. Listen, everyone, I, I guarantee you, if we were to start talking to people, every single person who is saved in here, you got saved somehow. It was through the work of a church in one one way or another. Whoever got to you, a, it, was, it was the ministry of a church that had gotten to them. I mean, you are not going to be able to go very far. I believe a soul winner that's not a member of a church can go get somebody else saved. But at, at the same time, that soul winner is probably a soul winner because of the influence of a ministry out of a church. You are not going to get far removed from a church. And if we do, if we leave church out of everything, things would eventually go away. It would eventually die out. The gates of hell would eventually prevail if, if there's no churches. So you know what? Uh, again, you know, thank God for anybody out telling people about Jesus. But when you try to disconnect yourself from a church, if, for you to act like it's not that big of a deal or that important, you have no idea what you're talking about. The church is very, very important. And everyone ought to do whatever they have to do to somehow connect themselves to a church any way they can, whether if you have to move somewhere, you ought to move somewhere. If you can't move somewhere, you ought to get connected with people in a church somehow. You ought to, you ought to give and support that ministry. You ought to help it somehow. You ought to try to find some way to get some accountability from people in a church somewhere. Everybody needs a church. Everyone. And I'm telling you too, the people out there who want to talk all mouthy about how they don't need a church and how they're winning all these souls, I guarantee they won't be doing it 10 years from now. I, I, I guarantee it, and we won't see their fruit out there continuing to do the work of God 10 years from now. We need the structure of the local church. All of us need it, and, and everything, everything that I have that is good is somehow connected to the work of, of, of local churches. Everything. And you will never, ever convince me that you don't need a church. But, yeah, I'll admit, you can go to heaven without being a part of a local church. But I don't understand why in the world you would insist on not being part of one. And obviously, I'm preaching to the choir right now because you all are here. But for those that might listen online, you've got to be a part of a church. We'll do whatever you have to. And so if you are saved and not part of a church, you do not have authority in things that God gave the church. You can't, bat- you can't go baptizing somebody. I don't believe in dads just going and baptizing their kids. Okay? Listen, I'm a pastor... But even when I've baptized my kids, it's been under the authority of a church. It's been within the church. 
I, I recognize the authority that God gave the church, and I don't believe in just going and doing your own thing. I, I, I don't believe in that. You can't, you can't ordain somebody. You can't just go and like, oh, I've decided to ordain my son to be, my, to be a pastor. You, know, you, you can't just do that. You've got to have a church backing you up. You can't just decide you're a deacon or something like that. There are some things that God gave to the church. And just like there were the lively oracles that God gave to that church in the wilderness, that God gave to a physical nation, understand those things were given to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ passed those things on to the apostles. And the apostles showed us how we do those things now. And it's not a physical nation thing anymore. It is a local church thing that's a part of that Reformation. There's, there's a lot of details we can go into this, but I'm, I'm not going to take time to do that. I just want to briefly talk about what the church will be. Ephesians 1.10 That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. Did you know there's a whole bunch of saints that aren't in church right now because they're in heaven right now there's a whole bunch of saints on earth all over the place but did you know that while there are there are verses people use to sometimes show us all being one and talk about universal church but i i I understand what they're what they're seeing but understand though that what they're doing is they're going to scriptures referring to what the church will be one of these days there will be a universal church you could say one of these days there will be one church There will be one group. There will be one assembly. And that will be when Jesus Christ gathers us together. That will not be until after the resurrection where we will all be one. Ephesians 4.11 says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When do you think that's going to happen? Are we there yet? Do we have unity in the faith right now? You know, there's some churches out there where there's saved people there, but they've got some pretty bad doctrine in there too. There are some churches that are full-blown apostate where there you can't even find salvation in those churches. Are, are we connected with them? Obviously we're not. But at the same time, there's going to be a day that's going to come where we are all going to be perfect. We are all going to be united. But right now, the church has some issues. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Well, that looks like church singular. Keep reading. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. Folks, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. But understand, one of these days when we are physically presented to Christ, we will be one at that point. At that point, it will not be Liberty Baptist Church and First Baptist Church and all these other churches. No, at that point, it will be the church. You know, people are like, why do we have to have so many churches today? I tell you why, because we've got so many issues. But one of these days, we're all going to come in the unity of faith. One of these days, there's going to be a resurrection. We're going to be purified. We're going to be glorified. And we are going to be presented a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. What does that mean? No Calvinism. No dispensationalism. That's what that means. That's what, you know, in, in the Tommy McMurtry version, that's what it means. We're going, to be, we're going to be perfect. We're going to be like Christ. That day is coming, and we will be one church during that time. But we're not there yet. Revelation 21.9 
And there came unto me one of the seven angels had seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked to me saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to the great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God in her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And he had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates. And at the gates, twelve angels, which names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And in them the names of the twelve apostles and of the Lamb. Can anybody give me the name of the Lamb? Jesus. And notice, so we've got apostles. We've got the twelve tribes of Israel. We have Jesus Christ. We have the city. And a lot of people say, well, the bride's the city. Meaning like this physical... Well, listen... It, it's the people. Obviously, there is going to be a place, but it's the, the people. The people of that city. They will be the bride. They will be those who are of faith from all time. It will be a people. We will all be one. We will all be united. And again, while the closest thing we have, the unifying moments in our world today, is occasionally at a ball game when we sing the national anthem. Everybody gets united for a few moments. Except for the few blue hairs. Again, kneeling. But at the same time, one of these days, there is going to be a multitude that no man can number. 100% united, not around a song or a single nation, but around Jesus Christ. Singing praises to the Lamb. Can you imagine what that's going to be like one of these days? We can't even imagine what that's going to be like. And, and let me tell you, on that day, we're having church. I mean, you want to talk about having church. And it's, it's going to be something. And... I'm looking forward to that. But folks, we're not there yet. That's what the church will be. That's what the church will be. Right now, we're still being purified. God's still working on us. God's still doing a work in our lives. And, and right now, we're trying to do everything by faith so we can receive some eternal rewards. Because that, that day is going to come. And now is our opportunity to do something. Now is our opportunity to make a real eternal difference. But either way, I'm still looking forward to that day. And so notice to this city that has foundations, that has these gates. This is exactly what's being referred to in Ephesians 2 when it's talking about this building that God's building. God's building a building. Its foundation was the apostles. It was those, or not the apostles, the, the prophets, apostles and prophets. It, the, that, was the, that was the foundation. But we're all a part of that building. We are all lively stones in that building. We will all be a part of this city that's coming one of these days. We will be one bride. One day we will be one church. So again, when it comes to the doctrine of the church, don't let people trip you up on this. There is what was. And what was is not as great and not as glorious as what is. What God reformed... is it, Folks, this is so much better. We all... You know, you want to, want to know... I don't want to preach another sermon right now, but one of the reasons we don't have all these priesthood and cleansings and ceremonies and things like that is because we have something so much better. We have the sanctifying from the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of us. We are qualified. We are equipped as individuals where we can literally go to anywhere in the world and we can talk to anybody and we can present them the gospel and help that person become a new creature in Christ and have eternal life. Any of us can do that. Why? We have the Holy Spirit. What do you think is better? The Holy Spirit and the Scriptures or a temple 
and a bunch of priests like Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas doing all those things to teach people about the holiness of God. What we have is so much better and so much glorious, but at the same time, what we have is glorious and it is beautiful, spiritually speaking, but it's kind of hidden sometimes through the shell of our flesh and all of our problems and imperfections that we have as a church. But one of these days, there is going to be a literal resurrection of the dead. We are, If we are alive and remain till that day, we're going to see Christ and He is going to transform us. He is going to glorify us. And we will visibly appear as what we spiritually are. And you know what? That will be even better than what we have today. And I'm looking forward to that day. And sometimes when people are looking at different scriptures, trying to teach a universal church and all that kind of stuff, they're referring to what will be. We're not there yet. Okay? We're not there yet. This is church right now. And it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's, pre- it's pretty good, but it's going to get better. It's going to get, it's going to get better. The church that is, is to come. I'm looking forward to that. And in the meantime, I want to do everything I can to be a part of the church that is now. I don't want to be rebellious against God. It's like, well, you know what? I don't really care for how the church is now. It's got all these issues and got all these problems. You know, I'll just, I'm just glad I'm saved and I'll be a part of the church that will be. You know what? You're going to regret that attitude. I promise you will regret that attitude one of these days. You know what? Christ loved the church even though we were a mess. Christ loves us right now and you ought to love us right now. You ought to love the church right now. You ought to love God's people right now. You ought to serve God's people right now. You ought to be doing all those things. That's the example Jesus set. And we ought to follow it. And so I'm thankful. I am thankful for the church. I love the church. I can't imagine not being a part of a church. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And I do. I, 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 I feel sorry for people who don't have a decent church that they could be a part of. And I, I would encourage anyone that might listen, do whatever you've got to do to be a part of one, to, to get one started. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take work, work. But I believe it will be worth it even on this earth. Even on this earth, it will be worth it. But it for sure will be worth it when you get to heaven one of these days and you're able to stand before God. And I get, and I promise you, most of the rewards that I'm going to receive is going to be because I was connected to a church. If I wasn't a part of a church, I don't think I'd be a faithful soul owner. I don't think I'd be as faithful to most of the things I do. I need the church. I'm not ashamed to admit that. I think you are arrogant off the charts to think that you don't need it. And you know what else? I don't believe you. I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe you if you think you don't need the church. We all need it. So, with that, let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you so much for the church. And Lord, I, I pray this message was a help and encouragement to everybody. Lord, it is a great privilege to be a part of a church. And I pray, Lord, that we will not take it for granted. But I pray that we will be faithful in the work that you've given us, Lord. Just because we're a part of something, Lord, there's responsibility that comes with it. And it can be difficult. It can be a battle sometimes. But help us be faithful in that battle. Help us not to flop out and give up and quit. But help us to keep on going and serve you until you come. In your name we pray. Amen.